He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. Alright guys, welcome to the Oakland Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamir Moravian, joined by Stephen Brown and special guest Kyle Carpenter from Burnt Orange Nation. I thought, you know, I thought it was a good idea to get a, uh, the, the opposing, the, the opposition's set of eyes on the game as well, considering the game, how it started. I mean, like, Everybody in Crimson and everybody in Norman, Oklahoma, thought they were about to get boat raced, and rightfully so. Uh, just by the numbers, the Sooners go 9 of 19 on third down. Texas goes 4 of 12, but they didn't necessarily need to convert on third downs because they were just dropping bombs after bombs by Casey. Uh, it's evident in their passing yards. Oklahoma has 323 to Casey Thompson's 388. However, the Sooners own the rushing yard battle, 339 to 128. The turnover battle, the Sooners had two turnovers and had a blocked punt. Texas only had one turnover, and it was on a on that kickoff return. Time of possession, the Sooners owned that by 12 minutes. Let's dive right into it. Kyle, <laughs> immediate knee-jerk reaction as soon as the clock hit zero, or I guess... 0.02 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a lot of folks at halftime who, who were celebrating and I'm old enough to, to have been around the Red River shootout enough times that know that it's, it's not over. You don't feel good until it's 0.00 on the scoreboard. Right. Uh, I never, I never felt like it was over heading into halftime. I did not necessarily see this outcome, but I, I knew it was going to be close. Um, look, he, Texas is, you know, I would have said if we would have won this game that my favorite Red River tradition is uh, knocking Spencer Rattler out of football games, um, getting getting him removed. But uh, but that has not worked out for us twice now when when Texas has lost both those games. And and I mean, I, I Caleb came in and, and just looked like, I mean, everything that that you fear as a as a, an opponent of Oklahoma, right? When you see a freshman with that much talent, that much hype, and then come in and just just do it all, making plays with you know he just the way he extended plays and, and made throws on the run and uh, stretched defenses um, as he you know got out of pocket and and just you know trusted his receivers and really receivers seemed to trust him when he put those deep balls up. It, I mean it's frightening for for Texas fans to think about that. Uh, you know y'all will have a lot to debate about who your starting quarterback is going on and, and what situations they're in, but um, there's talent there. And I'll say the second half team with him in it and obviously his big touchdown run to kind of spring some momentum back and, and make it a, a fair fight. Um, that was a showing, man. I, I, I don't want to have to be the coach who has to, the quarterback's coach who has to figure out which one of those guys, but I mean, ultimately what an atmosphere, what a game. If I were a neutral, I would, I would be thrilled with, you know, one of the better games I've ever been to in person. So uh, not the way we wanted to go out. You can see I'm wearing my te Texas basketball shirt. Obviously, we're a basketball school now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was a 
I had a hole that, that fried foods in the state fair definitely had to fill for a couple hours afterwards. So what changed for Texas? Um, when you look at the change to Caleb Williams, what changed defensively for them that kind of just caught them off guard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Texas came out hyped on both sides of the field. So it could have been Steve Sarkeesian's opening script. It could have been the defense's opening, you know, stance. It could have been that they game plan so hard to stop Rattler. And then when you had a quarterback who had mobility, that it just truly threw them off their heels. Um, I mean, there was probably, it seemed like when he first came in, they had a few times they got pressure on him. And and, and one of them, you know, he's, he has a guy at his ankles and he throws a pass and ends up getting tips. Stogner catches. It doesn't get the first down, mm-hmm. but just the play that he right. made, that it completed that pass. Two fumbles hit the ground off the snap and he completed both of those passes. One for one of the plays of the game, that 57 yard touchdown to Mims, one on a third down that didn't end up converting. But again, still those three plays that shouldn't have happened that, you know, you think you're going to have a positive play for a Texas defense, just deflated. And I think, um, that, you know, that Texas being unable to, to handle the, the direct snap counter play, which is a really brilliant piece of, of just offensive scheming um, and really any counter play that, that OU wanted to run. And I think, you know, when you put a freshman quarterback in, don't let him have a running back who can, you know, go get 10 yards a run, right? And Kennedy Brooks, to his credit, you know, really took over also in the second half. But I think, like I said earlier, I, he trusted his receivers, especially Mims. He put it up multiple times, really, at three Hail Mary shots that kind of were one-on-one coverage, and and the receivers beat, flat-out beat Texas defenders every single time. One was a corner blitz when it was our safety over top, and um, even though he had an interception earlier in the game, Foster's really been – deep pass coverage has been a little bit over his course at three years at Texas, a little bit of, of his his spottiest area. So um, that one I saw coming, but really just the fact that – the it felt like OU players were winning one-on-one matchups, whether it was in the deep passing game, whether it was the offensive line, whether it was tight ends coming in and kicking out, you know, uh, Texas linebackers. It felt like in that second half, for whatever reason, if the Oklahoma team stepped it up a notch, they just started winning one-on-one matchups more frequently. And we mentioned, we talked about this in the summer and I mentioned it. And I, I we mentioned before the game with Gerald on Wednesday, uh, I wasn't sure if Casey Thompson was the answer at quarterback and. I mean, Gerald even mentioned that Casey Thompson, his deep ball could use a little bit of work, but this man, gosh, talk about dropping balls into buckets. It it felt like he couldn't miss a lot of deep balls. Uh, I mean, he was 20 of 34 on the day because of of a bad third quarter, but everything else, you you know, everything else considered, he had himself a hell of a day, 388 yards through the year, five touchdowns, record setting. I mean, what do you have to say about Casey Thompson's performance? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was remarkable. It truly was uh, for a guy who is, you know, not young, but is young in his amount of snaps, right? He's, he's it's tough to have the just the the, the hoodspur, you know, to have the the stuff that, that a true quarterback has to step into that game, to step into Look, they didn't win it, but when they went down 48-41 and he led that touchdown drive at the end, that was a legacy-making drive. Again, obviously Kennedy Brooks spoiled that. But the fact that he, after an entire, basically in the second half up to that point, just being dead. I mean, I have have some more comments about our offensive line and the amount of dancing that Casey had to do every single play to put up those numbers. But, I mean, just that, like, the the belief in himself the 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 making of throws he i think he was playing most of the at least probably 70 percent of that game with a with a hurt finger where he went down i think it was the second quarter early mm-hmm. um and and just got it through it and did the things that he did um 
most of it to one receiver, right? Who, which again tells me hopefully he sticks around. Hopefully some more Sark guys, some good recruits in this class. You know, we're ready to get some guys moving in this offense. I think that Texas fans right now are underrating the performance Casey made because he didn't win the game because this wasn't one of those all time. Oh, look, and we won. I think it will get lost a little bit, and I hope it doesn't historically in the perspective because, again, his first Red River shootout, a kid from Oklahoma, obviously you know, on this podcast, everyone knows who his dad was. To come in and do what he did for Texas, I mean, it's – he again, if there's a different outcome, we're talking much differently about this. If it's a shootout game where we're just two teams going back and forth, I think we're talking differently. Because of the cliff that they fell off from the first half, I think fans are processing this on the Texas side, like, you know, quite negatively. And, and obviously I get it, but quite negatively that they're losing, that this was just a truly, you know, an all-timer performance from from Casey. And I, I mean – from anyone who knows what they're talking about, earn the respect to, to the, the to the deepest you possibly can. So where does this this game rank among, I guess, any OU Texas game ever played? Because for me, I think I think it's safe to say it's number one, and I think for Texas fans, they'll probably say it's not number one. But I kind of look at this the same way I look at the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl against Georgia is one of the best football games you could ever watch. Um, you know, take the fandom out of it. If you just want to watch a football game, uh, that's one of the best games you could ever watch. So where does this one rank among among OU Texas games for you? You know, I, I think Texas fans would have a different probably opinion than what USC fans think about that Rose Bowl, right? It's, it's easy to be on the, uh, the, the winning end of an instant classic and think, hey, you know, what a game this is. We're going to buy it on DVDs. So I'm sure as an Oklahoma fan, it feels like number one, but it's hard to argue as a neutral. And I pride myself on being a journalist first and foremost and a, and a fan somewhere well down the line. Um, but, you know, as a neutral, and again, my wife did not go to UT. She's actually a Baylor grad sitting next to me. And, and I, you know, see roots for UT to, and to make me happy. Um, but, you know, probably is more of a neutral. And, and just for someone thinking about where she was sitting watching that game, what an incredible tale of two halves, battles between two teams, big plays, touchdowns, drama. I mean, there, there was a four-play uh, sequence, I believe, that was the uh, third and 19 touchdown to Mims. Rattler comes in, gets a two-point conversion. The, the again, freshman kid who plays butt off, but just was trying to win the game, and, and Xavier Worthy and decided to ill-advise, bring a kick out, and then gets it stripped, and then you immediately score on the next play. And that four plays – that might be the four the greatest four play sequence in the history of Oklahoma Sooner football. You know, like I get why you think it was number one. I went to a couple good ones in my day that Texas pulled out, but if I'm purely being a capital J journalist, not a fan, taking my bias hat off, that that might be the the, the, the greatest one. I just hope after four overtimes and losing, and after losing that way, Texas maybe as exhausted as ways to lose <laughs> great games, he can find a way to win. It's, it's interesting because, I mean, like so many of those things, like you said, within the within that four-play kind of back-to-back-to-back sequence, so many of those things are just so rare that you've got Caleb Williams just running third and, third and 19, throwing on the run. Mims bare like his shoelaces are almost out of bounds, stays in bounds with the touchdown, and then – they go ahead, kick off. Caleb Kelly just like just doesn't even strip it. He just really just rips the ball out of out of Worthy's hands, leads directly to a touchdown. Like you said, Casey Thompson answers, comes back with a touchdown of their own. 
and then Oklahoma's just trying to get into field goal range. Right. And the next thing you know, they run the same play that they've ran successfully a couple times over with that direct snap to Kennedy Brooks with the counter where he fakes the pitch to Caleb and runs directly behind uh, another pulling guard and Drake stoops and gets in the end zone. It's just like a holy crap play after holy crap play after holy crap play. Like you, this, these things don't happen in games like often in general by themselves. And for the fact that they happened back to back to back to back is just wild. And so like, my wife right now is in Dallas, Texas for her job training and she's in a hotel and she said there were a bunch of very, very, very upset folks in orange in Dallas watching the A&M game last night as well. Like I, I could only imagine, is that like a sense of personal hell for a Texas fan to see the, like, it's not the way the game ended because I even I even talked to Gerald after the game. I was like, "Listen, dude, I'm not sorry with how the game happened. Like, I'm not sorry with the result, but because you guys are one of the good ones, <laughs> I'm sorry how it actually happened." And so I can only imagine like the personal hell in which A and M defeats Alabama, the fashion in which OU like looks like it's about to get boat raced by Texas in Sark's first appearance, and then a red river shootout. And then all this happens. Like what is, what is the thought process going on after A&M actually ends up beating Alabama after the, what you experienced that day with the backup quarterback? Yeah. You, you even left out some of the, the, the fumble that wasn't after that long run, the, you know, there's yeah, like 10, yeah. 10, 10, 10 plays on the Texas side that didn't happen that could have had, you know, like if they review that one Mims catch that led to the first touchdown where he went out, you know, and they reviewed the catch, but not the, did he go out being pushed? Like there's yep. probably four or five plays that, you know, could have happened this way. That There was just heartbreak after heartbreak. So it's like, okay, you know, what's going to be cathartic is watching Alabama destroy our other rival, right? And and right. Look, OU is that rival, and I, I felt it all week. Like, there was a respect. Like, we we both, you know, are imperfect teams. Uh, we both have an, have an upside. You know, I think we all expected a first-year coach versus where Riley is that OU would be further along in that process. So we came into this game with some respect. I felt like the trash talk wasn't as, as harsh. We both go into the SEC. There's a, there's a respect. It's like Ron Burgundy, you know, I hate you, but, <laughs> oh, God, I respect you. But there's just abject hatred for AM. There's no respect there. There never has been. And so to watch your other rival, you're like, all right, they've lost two in a row. They've looked horrible. They managed one touchdown against Colorado. You know, it's like, all right, Alabama, just make it better. Give me something. Let me go out of the day 500. You tune in and it just starts off bad. I mean, AM gets up early and you just think, what the heck is going on? But, and so I, I thought about that a lot. And, and since then, but I somehow think, and, and I hope Texas fans can join me here. You can get out of just the wallowing, right? The season's not over. We're in year one of Sark. Put Texas aside and look at AM. If you can get out of the just, man, they're going to be gloating hard at work and every day, and they're going to talk about this and make cups and make rings. And, you know, this will be <laughs> probably a banner on the outside of the stadium. Yeah. Plaques. <laughs> get, get, get past that. Texas AM finally beat Alabama. And it's not going to matter for them. They lost two games that they shouldn't have so stupidly that winning the biggest game they have in a decade since Johnny was there and they beat Alabama 
the last time will mean absolutely nothing. You know, they might get a slightly better bowl, but they're nowhere near the playoff picture. They won't be. They can't be, right? Even if they finish out strong, I just don't think you recover from the way they started. And, you know, their schedule doesn't have a lot of meat, you know, left on the bone either. So, I, you know, I <laughs> I hope Texas fans can join me in just reveling that at least even though that happened, it just is the most aggy way of doing it. If they could have somehow not lost these two games, they would probably be number two behind Georgia right now. But instead, mm-hmm. they're ranked uh, they're ranked four spots behind Texas, which lost to Arkansas and, and Oklahoma, two teams who hate it by, you know, heartbreaking fashion. So it's like, here we all are together in, in our <laughs> tough years. And instead, you're supposed to be on top of the world. So Texas fans, if you listen to this, take some perspective. Well, let's go back to the conference. We won't be talking about too much longer when um, both teams move over to the SEC. But, I mean, how do you think about the Big 12 shaping up? Are these the same teams that will be competing in the Big 12 championship, or how do you think that's going to go? It's really interesting. I think we'll learn a lot about who Texas is, how they respond with Oklahoma State this mm-hmm. week, and if they do that – could be interesting. You kind of get a, a murderer's row of what's left. And I use murderer's row, I guess, pretty generously. The, you know, no team in the Big 12 is perfect this year. Um, OU is obviously the best, but even in some of the games before, Texas looked flawed in the Texas game. Again, looked like they could lose that one, but you're undefeated. You'll be there, I, I would guess, unless something goes really wrong in the second half of the season. Everyone else is. I mean, Iowa State was penciled in there, but they don't look like a great team. And they look like a team right. in early season who beat themselves. And so mm-hmm. they usually clean that up as the year goes. But, um, you know, Texas going through basically Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State, they get all their tough games kind of lined up here. So um, if Texas can go 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh in this this closeout, then I think, yeah, yeah, you're, you're setting up a, a rematch of, you know, one of the games of the college football season so far, right? Which is, which is fun and exciting. Um, I'm not saying anything's a foregone conclusion. And again, Texas scheduled to get there is much, much, much tougher, but I, I don't believe the, 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 the Baylor hype. Again, I told you my wife's a Baylor grad. I, I don't necessarily believe it. I think they're a good team. I just don't, they're ahead of, they're, they're ahead of schedule right now. So good for them. Mm-hmm. They also haven't looked elite all times this season. They've looked pretty good here recently, but um, I, I think, a beatable team. Um, Oklahoma State, I similarly think, you know, is a flawed team. They're basically a quite a watered-down version of what OU wants to do at its best. They're a defense that can stop the run. Maybe they can run themselves. They run a lot. I don't know if they run particularly well, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a, a, a flawed offense. Um, I think West Virginia has a great defense, but their offense is so bad. Uh, Kansas State, when they lost their quarterback, just kind of took the wind out of what could have been an interesting season for them. Still a, still a dangerous team, but not you know, if if they're a dog, they're an old dog whose teeth are starting to fall out, and you, you know, they might get a good bite on you, but it's it's not going to be every week. Um, and you know, I, I, like again, the Big Twelve is just a big mass in the middle, right? It's Kansas at the bottom right now, OU at the top, and everyone else in between. And there's nothing about what I saw against OU other than Texas's offensive line problems that would say that Texas can't come out at the top of that keep. I'm not guaranteeing it, but I'm not. It, it doesn't seem unlikely, again, if they can fix some of the problems, because basically the turnstiles, the way the guy asked to see my ticket and kind of glanced at my wife's purse going into the Cotton Bowl um, was about the same that the offensive line did to check Nick Benito in the, in the defense <laughs> of, uh, of Oklahoma. Like, hey, yeah, you're good. Yeah, go go ahead. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, they have to fix that. Texas does. But if they can do that. Um, and there are some issues on the defense stopping the run that we've seen against Arkansas and Oklahoma that they're going to have to look at. They're going to have some work to do, but if they can do it, then again, I think we could see this game play out again. Well, Kyle, it was a hell of a game. 
it like it like when because we went back and forth with Gerald or like the line is so close because nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. And, and in the end, really realistically, these teams were so close as far as what, what they were going to do, what they were trying to do. Thanks for coming on the podcast to give us yeah. a, a, a different set of eyes from the opposition. Uh, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find your stuff and go ahead and plug away, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Make sure you, uh, you check Gerald and I out where our podcast is, uh, Longhorn Republic on Burn Orange Nation. Uh, you can follow us at Longhorn Pod. You can follow Burn Orange Nation as well on Twitter at Burn Orange Nation. You can follow me at Kyle Carpenter. And uh, I keep my takes uh, lukewarm. I, I try to be funny. I, I've written a satirical Texas column called the Texas Pregamer. I save my shots for there usually, but otherwise, I, I you know I try to I try to be nice uh, when I can during the game. Sometimes I get heated, but I'm an, I'm an okay follow. I won't. Won't annoy you too bad. Uh, if you like soccer, you can also follow. I got some things to say there. But, yeah, check me out. Check out definitely the pod. Uh, we all, always love having uh, talking with you guys, having you on the pod as well. So, Kyle is being humble, everybody. Him and Gerald are, like, some of the best podcast guys in the Big 12. No, not some of the best. The best podcast guys in the Big 12 to podcast <laughs> with. Always a joy to talk to you. Man, we might see you in, in, the, in the winter. We'll check you then, okay? Sounds good. Looking forward to it, guys. All right. See ya. All right. So, Steven, what do you think what Kyle said? I thought it was interesting. I think a lot of Texas fans um, kind of look as the, at the turning point of the game as just being Caleb Williams, and rightfully so. Um, I mean, he, he changed the like entire composure of both the offense and defense when he, when he joined in, but um, his play didn't necessarily move the game. It is more like what the, the team did around him that kind of moved this game from a, an easy Texas win to an Oklahoma win late. It, it, it's staggering. I think I saw a stat that Oklahoma from after the first quarter outscored Texas 41 to 13 or something along those lines. That is incredible. Could be because we think about how this game was and I mean, Caleb Williams comes in and did nothing but generate points, whether it was a touchdown uh, or was three points. All he did was move the offense, make the run game more effective because now you're effectively actually having to guard an 11th guy because Spencer Rattler doesn't have the wheels. He doesn't have the pocket awareness that Caleb Williams has. And so I think it's definitely really interesting. So getting on with last year's benching of Rattler in the, in the cotton bowl, last year's benching of Rattler in favor of Tanner Mordecai felt super, super temporary. This one in the second half, and especially on into the sec uh, in this one in the second quarter and on into the second half felt more than temporary. This felt like a legitimate, this guy has the back of our team. This guy is not just well-liked among his team members, but is also maybe even well-respected among his team members, which I think may be a problem for Rattler. I mean, I have nothing to go off of with that. I think Rattler is a well-liked individual, but I don't know if he's well-respected among his teammates like Caleb Williams is. And so what I'm asking is, is is Caleb Williams the new QB1? And is that why Lincoln Riley, do you think, is so hesitant in answering any of those questions or is this just gamesmanship or is he just trying to protect both quarterbacks? Is it 
a combination of all three. I, I can't tell. What do you think? I think it's a little bit of gamesmanship um, as far as just like not – I mean, Gary Patterson does it every year to OU. Um, I think he's just trying to hide – I mean, everyone knows Caleb Williams is going to be a guy. I don't think anyone thinks Rattler's going to come back into the game and be the starter next week or this week. Um, but at the same time, as a, a head coach, you can you can kind of keep Gary Patterson at bay as far as kind of guessing – who he has to prepare for. So I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship there. Man, I just like, you just, I don't, think I don't see how Rattler is the starter at all. That's what I keep on coming back to is because Rattler, I mean, you're seeing what people are doing with Patrick Mahomes in the NFL and the Kansas city chiefs. They're just setting two high safeties and making them play underneath and hoping that they're just going to mess up. I mean, like in hoping that, they can sustain long drives right. and they'll make mistakes in those long drives. And Rattler to his, I guess not credit has not made the right reads. I mean, he's had guys wide open at the sticks, but he opts for guys in double coverage or is blaming people for running the wrong routes instead of actively getting invisibly is frustrated without actually going and, talking with his teammates, actively just like being frustrated, going to the sideline, not talking to really anybody. And like you look at all the camera footage, because I was looking at all the camera footage when Caleb Williams was in the game, scoring his teammates, picking him up, him really celebrating with his teammates and, and, and Spencer Rattler to me. I mean, of course the footage we saw. And when I went back on the replay, his body language said all I needed to see right. about Spencer Rattler not as a teammate or as a quarterback, but as a leader of the team. And I think, again, I think Spencer Rattler's well-liked, but I don't know if he's well-respected enough to be that quarterback, whereas I think Caleb Williams does have the respect of his team, especially after what we saw in the second half of that game in Dallas this past Saturday. My goodness. And of course, Oklahoma covers the, the, the one game of the year. They get down 28 to seven. <laughs> they cover the damn football game, which is just like unbelievable in its own Oklahoma. They had nine sacks two years ago, six sacks last year and three sacks this year. And they could have had a couple more if they just got a little bit more grasp or just got a little got there a little bit more early. They but most importantly, we're able to keep Bijan Robinson with the exception of like maybe one or two runs in check. Now, part of this is because uh, Casey Thompson was having a lot of success through the air and Oklahoma owned time of possession by 12 minutes, but also Oklahoma was getting so much interior push on the defensive line. They won the, they won in the trenches at the end of the day, they won on the defensive line trenches without Isaiah Coe. Like I said, several times, if I had to choose between has, having Isaiah Coe and Danny Stutzman, I'm choosing Danny Stutzman all day. Oh, absolutely. Stutzman played lights out. And so, like, Oklahoma was getting a push up the middle, and then, of course, they were stunting off the edges and coming after uh, Casey Thompson and killing. And so they kept Bijan Robinson, like, and they, they stopped him before he got going a lot of those times. And is that just a factor of, Texas offensive line being weak, Oklahoma's defensive line without Isaiah Coe, without Jalen Redmond just being having a lot of depth. And what's that say about the Oklahoma front six, front seven with Danny Stutzman in the, in the lineup as well? 
Well, I think they tried to cover a little bit early, um, just trying to get the coverage spread out. I think after halftime, they kind of realized, like, let's just go at it. Let's let's bring everybody. Let's blitz every time. Let's disguise some coverages here and there. Kind of keep his eyes downfield, kind of guessing what the coverage is going to do. And by that time, maybe you get an Isaiah Thomas in there or Nick Benito. Um, so I think after halftime, they kind of just what we talk about. It's like they're what they're good at. They're good at pass rushing. So why not pass rush every time? Yeah, they pin their they, ears back. Right. And we'll just depend on that. And, you know, if they get beat, it happens. But let's not get beat in the trenches. Let's just do what we do. Take care of business. And it worked out for them. And, and that was my thing. Because after the game, people were saying, man, Bijan Robinson only had 20 carries. Casey Thompson, 388 yards, five touchdowns through mm-hmm. the air because they were getting beat. And so Alex Grinch was like, okay, we centered a game plan around stopping Bijan Robinson. This guy's having success through the air. We're just going to blitz and blitz and blitz and come off the edge and send more guys than we can. Uh, then they have guys blocking. And so realistically, you're getting a push up the edge and – you're, well, you're getting a push up the middle and off the edges, especially with Nick Benito just swimming right past the tackles and other guys in in Danny Stutzman with a with a clutch sack as well. I mean, the Sooners they, their defense is really clamped down in the second half. Made sure that everything on Texas from their offensive line was difficult to handle, and they were forcing Casey Thompson into one-on-one throws can you make a throw with pressure in your face and the first quarter the second quarter and part of the fourth quarter he did that but that third quarter lull is what led OU back into the game and is what really got that momentum on OU's side and then by the time you got OU's momentum on their side the crowd you could just hear it on tv it was it, it got louder and louder and louder and you could feel the pressure a mounting on Texas where they felt no pressure early in the game. They're up 28 to seven and you could feel them really feeling the pressure was on them and they didn't, they couldn't deliver. It didn't, it looked like they had gotten totally shook. They were shooketh or rattled as you might want to say. They, they chanted, (laughs) we want Caleb on college game day and several other times until they didn't want Caleb. That's a, that's a that's an episode of Dave Chappelle where uh, you, uh, when keeping it real goes wrong, or like always you, sunny. Yeah, it's just incredible. And talk about the flip side, the other running back in the game, Kennedy Brooks, eight point seven yards a carry, twenty five carries for two hundred and seventeen yards. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Get the man the ball more. And if you have a Caleb Williams that can a uh, zone read. RPO that makes him even more dangerous with an offensive line that's still coming together, but doing a little bit better game by game. What do you think? Yeah. And this is, this goes back to Caleb Williams and kind of what he brings as a runner. Um, The other thing I think may, might not be discussed as much is just how well he throws the deep ball. I think when he throws the deep ball, you know, to Mims or whatever, he goes for those one-on-one coverages. So it forces defensive to kind of hesitate and not stack the box as much against Oklahoma. So I think some of that Kennedy Brooks was just a compliment to whatever Caleb Williams was doing in the passing game. It really opened up um, Oklahoma's running game because you can't really anticipate, um, you know, throw over the top. You have to be mm-hmm. aware of that now. And now Kennedy Brooks is running downhill right in front of you. So I'm a little bit, as, a little bit of that as Caleb Williams, but also Kennedy Brooks. I mean, he was just a tough runner all day. 
Um, just I mean, bouncing off that, a tackle. Yeah, he's got to be beat up. He's one of those guys that um, you look like last year, like uh, Isaiah Thomas and Obo and Karanko is in that category. It was just probably just beat to death. I think uh, there's a video of him running through the tunnel and his head was just down because I think he just he was just exhausted. So um, kudos to him. That's a big game. He's, I mean, that's a game where you kind of solidify yourself in those those running back rankings as far as Oklahoma is. You, you solidify yourself in like Red River shootout lore. Yeah, I mean, like, right. and what was interesting was the fact that when Spencer Rattler's in the game, Texas has two high safeties and keeping everything underneath and making sure Rattler's making his right reads and mm. basically just taking check downs when he can. And he didn't take the check downs when he could. And then there were times when Caleb Williams was in the game where they brought seven, eight guys in the box because they expected runs and you're leaving Mims one-on-one, one-on-one without safety help over the top. And I mean, Heck, if I'm if I'm if I've got a one on one with Marvin Mims, yes, yeah, third every time. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it up, and he high points the ball very well. He's a, and he's an, an incredible athlete, and he's got incredible ball skills. And you, we saw it twice on display. I mean, one against the safety, and the other against the cornerback. I mean, just unbelievable. And also, you got to see Caleb Williams. He's not as he doesn't have as much arm talent as Spencer Rattler. However, he does seem to have the playmaking ability and decision making that you want to see out of Rattler and like just threading the needle between defenders. You got to see some of his accuracy, but at the same time, you got to see some of his inaccuracy by overthrowing out of bounds, etc. But still, his threat of running the ball, just like we saw with Jalen Hurts, is you guys, you got like seven, eight dudes in the box, and now you're on one on ones instead of oh, we're gonna yeah, drop seven, we're gonna drop now. eight, and so now you got one on ones slants. You could take those to the house, and that means big, big plays are like officially back, back on the menu. Oklahoma hadn't had big plays for the entire season. They, they were they were counting how many big plays Oklahoma had in the Kansas State game, and. Now we saw so many explosive plays with Caleb Williams in just one one half, or he, he, the the long run in the second quarter, and in the second half you just saw several long plays, several explosive plays that you're used to in a Lincoln Riley offense. And so, what, what my next question is with Caleb Williams? Let's say he is the starting quarterback because he should be. I'd be very surprised if Lincoln Riley looks at that tape and goes back to Spencer Rattler. Let's say Caleb Williams is your starting quarterback this week against TCU at home in Norman. Do you just go back to the Kyler Murray playbook? And does that make the H-backs far more effective with him being able to have a lot better pocket awareness and let those guys leak out? Yeah, I think you do kind of look at those plays where Kyler was successful. Obviously, he's not the runner that Kyler was. I don't think many people will be in our our lifetime, but... Um, you now have that threat of a running quarterback where they have to keep him accountable no matter what, and that opens up one extra guy. So whether that be the H-backs, I think that's kind of debatable at this point. I'm not sure where the H-backs go in this offense, at least this year. Um, One guy I think it really helps is like a Mike Woods. Mm. Mike Woods tends to get open quite a bit, and he does it um, usually past 10 yards. So 
I think in that regard, he can find some gaps in that in that secondary, and they can take advantage of that. And, and Jaden Hazelwood as well, I guess if you're in that conversation. Obviously, um, there was an attempt there, and Hazelwood just kind of dropped it. But I think those two guys um, are going to be uh, a lot more effective in this offense now with, with Caleb Williams involved. It's just incredible what could have happened far earlier in the season because mm-hmm. – you felt like you felt like there was an actual quarterback. You felt like there was an actual pushing that Caleb Williams was pushing Spencer Rattler in practice. I mean, that was that was the notion that I was getting from summer that like it wasn't a quarterback battle per se, but you could tell that Caleb Williams was an elite talent, and you could tell that Spencer Rattler had his his head or looking over his shoulder, seeing what Caleb Williams was doing, and then. You go and see him do it on like the biggest stage at Oklahoma football with the crowd the way it was. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so we've got the defense putting pressure, uh, getting a lot of pressure in the second half. You get Williams generating drives, teammates rallying behind him. You got Mims finally showing up in the second half, not just once, not twice, but three times, and maybe even four times. Mims just showing up huge. So his dad's not tweeting out why his son's not getting the ball in the second half. You got the Caleb Kelly strip. You've got the Texas Texas tie. And then Kennedy Brooks almost walk-off touchdown to end the game. Have you ever seen Sooner Magic anything like that to your life? I don't think so. I mean, the closest thing would be OU Alabama in 2014. I guess as far as, or maybe, maybe the OU Ohio state game, Mm. but it just, as far as like storylines in this game, there's just so many involved, like the return of Kennedy Brooks, the emergence of uh, Caleb Williams, Caleb Kelly strip. I don't think there was any OU fan that was just more overjoyed for him because he's been through so much. Obviously he's been at OU for like 10 years now, but (laughs) um you know, that's just an incredible moment for him. Um, the comeback. I mean, Jeremiah Hall hurdled a guy. I don't think we've ever seen that before. Yeah. Like the, so everyone was just fired up on this. Un- un- unbelievable. When Jeremiah Hall hurled a guy, like, I didn't know he could do that. I, I thought, I, I thought he was too thick and heavy and you, the next thing you know, he's going over a defensive back's body and landing on top of another defensive back. I mean, heck he, He's one of the team captains. It was funny at the end of the game when he was going to plant the flag. He was like, he he planted the flag at center field, mm. but it didn't stick. He's like, that flag is a lot heavier than we think, which is really interesting. But, oh my gosh, like, I can't remember the last time I've seen plays like that. And not just in, and not even in sequence, like we just talked about with Kyle, but back to back to back to back, all of those things happening. I mean, Caleb Williams didn't even strip the ball. Like he, it's not like he stripped it and somebody picked it up. He literally just took it from the Caleb man's Kelly. chest. Yeah, Caleb Kelly just took the ball from the like man's off. chest. It, it, it's just unbelievable what we saw on Saturday, and I, I still cannot believe my eyes. It was on ESPNU actually right before we came on here. And it was like, oh, it's six minutes left in the third quarter. Looks like it's go time. It was just an exciting game to be a part of. Would you say you were less nauseous or more nauseous than last year's four overtime game? 
less. Because I mean, the four overtime thing was you could you could see this game dropping out of nowhere because we've seen Spencer rather be uh, turnover prone at any time, but in that four overtime game, he was just lights out. And this one, I think everybody kind of knew Caleb Williams had it in hand. He wasn't going to make those foolish plays. Mm-hmm. And kudos to Lincoln Riley for not putting it on him. I think a lot of people are pissed off that they went for field goals in the third quarter, but I actually thought that was a sneaky, brilliant move of trying to chip away the lead that you and just trust your defense at that point. And, and it was a good call to trust that defense because I think they only gave up 10 points in the, the second half. Yeah. Yeah. They, and sticking with the run game, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did, they, they got stuffed in early, early and often. And then you had that Caleb Williams, 66 yard run. And then you insert Caleb Williams as your actual quarterback. And the next thing, you know, you're just ripping off runs left and right with Kennedy Brooks because of the threat of Caleb. Eric Williams. Gray almost broke a couple. Eric, Eric Gray almost broke he's a couple. And, and he had a couple of passes out of the backfield that he's just so quick twitch. I mean, it opens up the offense so much more. And like maybe the maybe the playbook is between like Jalen Hurts and Kyla Murray and what they can do, but you definitely alter the playbook to make it more dynamic. And you definitely alter the way defenses are now going to defend you. And it's going to look totally different than what we've seen the last, I guess, five games. There no longer are going to be two high safeties. You now you have to bring those guys, at least one of those guys down into the box. And you're left with a lot of guys out there with a lot of space. And it's, it'll, it's going to be interesting. And I'm really, really intrigued, but that's, it's a post game podcast. I, I thought I was curious to get, it was really interesting to get Kyle's perspective on the yep. game from a Texas uh, folks point of view. Uh, that's all I've got. What, do you have anything else? Um, join the discord. Cause it keeps ringing right now. I'm trying to see what they're talking about. And then, uh, I mean, follow those. Was it Gerald and, and uh, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for me. Kyle, Kyle Jared and, or Gerald and Kyle follow those guys. I actually followed them this week and it was actually, you know, it was pretty good discussion. So yeah, Gerald and Kyle, Gerald Goodridge and Kyle Carpenter of burnt orange nation. They run the longhorn pod. It's not like following Billy Lucci. Yeah. They, they are like legit good Texas people and they are good folks that you, Mm -hmm. that I would recommend follows, uh, from, from Texas longhorns. I know people hate Texas longhorns, but they are legitimately good people, good follows and rational and not like these crimson colored glasses looking through the lens of like whatever <laughs> they want from Sark. These are guys that are objective about their team and realistic about their team. But that all about wrap us up. Go ahead and follow us on crimson and cream machine.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CC machine. Uh, you can follow Jack at J Larry shields. You can follow me at came Robin CCM. You can follow Steven at updated SB. There's, there, there, we dropped the Longhorn meltdown post, which was filled was with, which was filled with excellent, 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 excellent Longhorn fanatic message board posts. Because the beginning of it starts off like, "Wow, this is this is a dream." Pinch, don't pinch me and wake me up. And at the very end of the game, you see just the amount of agony that they're having, and it's just incredible. But go ahead and follow us on Crimson Cream Machine. Follow us on Twitter. 
I'll put the Discord link in the bio. And we're looking forward to a good game against TCU on Wednesday. Uh, on, on Saturday, we'll have, a, we'll have a podcast on Wednesday, maybe with Melissa Tribewasser from T- TCU Frogs of War. Uh, but we'll check you guys later.